Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello, and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network, and thanks for joining us today. I'm Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends, and when I have time, which is not nearly enough, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. I'm so excited for my guest today. Her name is April Stearns. She's the founder and creator, editor, all these amazing things of the Wildfire Magazine and writing community. She was diagnosed stage three about 10 years ago, found out while she was breastfeeding her daughter. I I just can't imagine how devastating that is. You have this amazing life that you've started and you're in this amazing time and boom, breast cancer. Um, She was a lifelong writer and created Wildfire Magazine and this amazing community for women diagnosed young because there really wasn't enough voices out there to share what we go through, to connect by sharing their stories. And she was a past guest on the show with Becky Olson back in May of 2020, May 27th, 2020, talking about why women diagnosed young need special resources like this, but you should go ahead and listen. But today we're really going to focus on Wildfire and the writing and and why why she's doing this. And before I welcome her, I'm going to read one one thing. It's the opening of the most current feature, the magazine that came out, um, the Changemakers issue. And I really, I believe it embodies, obviously, what is wildfire is meant to be. So here goes. In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish in the sunlight that can now reach them. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire our bodies becoming this new fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Oh, Gosh, April, welcome. I, I'm, I'm so honored to have you here today. And I, as I was telling April when I when we logged on really quick earlier, I read the entire um, last issue cover to cover between last night and this morning, and it's just filled me with so much hope and love and inspiration for cancer not being a bad thing. Yeah, it sucks, but wow, you've given such a platform to women to highlight their changes. So welcome, April. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Michelle. I'm so excited to be here. And thanks for that intro. I, If you want to just keep talking about me all day, I'll just sit here and soak it up. It's amazing. I, I literally could because I sat and read, as I said, cover to cover. And I was familiar with your 
magazine previously a bit. And one of my dear friends was in the last issue on metastatic breast cancer, Pamela George, Mm -hmm. and we lost her in November. And I had, she was going to be my guest on metastatic breast cancer day, but was really struggling. And so I read her article that she wrote in your issue that day. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad you were able to do that for her. I was. And just for her and her husband, Josh, and it really allows the article and just getting her article out there on the podcast just really was me honoring her spirit. And Pamela, we miss you every day. But anyway, let's let's talk about you and and the magazine. But really quickly, I, I do kind of start off with everyone's cancer stories. So tell us about your your diagnosis and how old you were and all that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, I found my breast cancer one night while literally breastfeeding my new daughter. And like you said, it was this very startling juxtaposition between body doing all these amazing things and then body creating something brand new that wasn't supposed to be there. So I was 35 and um, had a very light family history, I would say, at that point. My grandmother had passed away from metastatic breast cancer when I was 18, and um, I didn't know a lot about her story at that point. She only had sons. I came to learn later that there was other breast cancer you know, further back in her sisters and things like that. But at that point, I didn't know a lot about breast cancer, wasn't really on my radar. But um, this night I was breastfeeding my little one. And um, for anyone who has breastfed, you kind of know you're, you're always kind of touching your breasts at that point, you know, Mm kind of massaging milk down and things like that. And so I felt this lump that I had never felt before was really big, um, turned out to be seven centimeters. Holy when, crap. Right. At diagnosis. Yeah. And it's um, like, okay, how you're feeling your breasts all the time you're breastfeeding. And then literally one day you're like, there's a seven centimeter lump there. How did I not feel that? Exactly. Exactly. I remember that night I laid my daughter down to sleep and went straight into my husband and said, can you feel this? And he felt it in the blood just drained out of his face. And he said, he literally said, what the fuck is that? Like Mm -hmm. I had, neither of us had ever felt it before. And that was confirmed later about, um, I would say I started down the path of diagnosis and it maybe took three weeks, um, at that point for me to get diagnosed, which was a lot Mm -hmm. faster than for some people who are, you know, young and Mm -hmm. doctors are, you don't have breast cancer. You're too young. Exactly. It must Mm -hmm. be a milk thing, which of course I heard, you know, it's Mm -hmm. probably a cyst. Um, But I had a really great gynecologist who was like, probably not breast cancer, but let's do all the things and figure Mm -hmm. this thing out. And so by the time I sat in front of my oncologist, um, you know, three weeks later, my brand new oncologist, he confirmed for me because I was her two positive. That's a very fast growing breast cancer that I was probably right that it hadn't been there prior. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was there. I was stage three C because of the size of it. And it was already traveling into my lymph nodes. Um, And so he started me on chemo right away. I think within um, probably five weeks of feeling that lump, I was in the chemo chair and did that for uh, six months I had her too. So like I said, I also had her septum. So I was really in that chemo lounge for 13 months total, but, Uh. you know, started with the hardcore chemo. And then part of my story is I opted to have a unilateral mastectomy with aesthetic flat closure. 
which means um, that I just had my left breast removed, the one that was affected by cancer and opted not to have breast mound reconstruction. So I live asymmetrically now, which has become kind of part of my story and my advocacy for the community. Um, And the reason I chose that was because I had a little one at home. I wanted Mm -hmm. to minimize surgeries and get back to her. I also hoped to have another child down the road and I wanted to breastfeed again. Fertility was not in the mix for me um, down the road, but I don't regret keeping that breast. Um, And I also did radiation. So I did the whole, the whole gamut. And, um, and luckily I've been no evidence of disease since about 2013. That's awesome. And later on, we're going to talk about your, your unilateral beautifulness because <laughs> you've, you've decided to share that recently mm-hmm. um, publicly in photographs. And that's, I, I love that so much. And in the current issue, literally, you just turn a page and there's your face and your photos. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I, I literally was laying in bed last night and my husband was like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> he's like, you're waking me up with your, with your reading of this magazine. I'm like, yes, I am. And it's amazing. And he's like, okay. And he rolled over and went back to sleep. But <laughs> um, so being diagnosed young can lead to so many challenges. And even though it was 10-ish years ago, is that right? That's right. right. Um, okay. In March, it'll be 10 years since my diagnosis. Okay. Um, what, what do you remember as the hardest part, whether it was physically or emotionally? Immediately, what comes to mind is the mental devastation that I felt. I think that being a new mom, I, I felt two things. I felt at once like my body finally made sense to me. I had kind of felt like I'd been at war with my curves and my weight and things like that. Um, my whole life since, you know, puberty. Same. Mm-hmm. Right. And then um, and then for me, getting pregnant and actually having, you know, birth the baby and then breastfeeding, all of a sudden it kind of clicked for me like, oh, I get it now. And these hips make sense. These breasts make sense. Yeah. So that the like weird flip of that. And then the other thing though, was that I felt like the protector, the, the like hardcore, like holding my family down. And at the same time, then the one who brought the, the big bad into our house, I just felt really devastated to have disrupted our family. And of course, at that point, I didn't know if I was going to survive that. Mm -hmm. And so I just felt really guilty. I think I mostly the, felt really guilty. Yeah. The, the crushing weight of that guilt. And I, I, I felt the same way. Um, very similar story. Mine was just a little bit later. I was 39 um, when I had my son and then diagnosed at 41. So he mm-hmm. was 18 months. Um, and, but literally you're, I, I had hit my stride as a mom. It was what I was supposed to do. And then it was like, you get a cancer diagnosis and you're like, oh my God, I, I can't be this person because I have to save my life first. Right. And it, it takes away from that. And I definitely, I felt, I felt cheated a little bit because I was having to give so much of my own energy to save my own life. And it, looking back true. on it now, I'm like, oh, well, that was dumb. I needed to save my own life to be here for my son. Um, but it really is hard to, to get back to a normal or a new normal. Did you ever, were you able to ever to find that? It's funny you should mention that because that was really what started me um, down the path of creating wildfire was because I felt that the message I received was that breast cancer was just going to be this little speed bump. And then I was going to be right back to life as normal. And so when, 
when I discovered that literally everything was changed about me, my, you know, my ambitions, my understanding of the world and how my body worked, all that stuff, when that changed, I, I thought something was wrong with me, you know, and I didn't understand why I wasn't finding that, that bounce back. Eventually I discovered that other people felt the same. And so I set out to kind of create this, this kind of new normal for myself, but because at the time I I've listened to, you know, some of your other stuff and, and read about it, but you really weren't able to find that community that you needed. No, I mean, it was 2012, 2013. I wasn't hooked into Facebook groups. I don't think they really existed the way they do now, but um, certainly mm-hmm. wasn't um, on Instagram. You know, the places where young survivors are finding each other wasn't happening. There were some people writing on blogs. And so I was reaching out to them and saying, like, can we can we get together? Can we like wrangle all these stories and and make a resource that people can can find quickly and easily? Because it is it's like seeds scattered in the wind, you know, that for the young community. And it is a little different from some of the women diagnosed postmenopausal, just some of those, you know, like the fertility stuff, the, you know, mm-hmm. having little ones at home. And it, it matters to, to read other stories and hear other stories that are similar to your own. It does. And if, if you can't find that, it's, it's really, it's emotionally devastating. And because you, you don't know that you're not the only one that is yep. in the, that literally is in this pit of despair that needs to share. And no, they don't tell you how hard survivorship is. Oh, a hundred percent. And you mm-hmm. are surrounded by friends and family who through no fault of their own, don't really understand what you're going through. And they end up feeling very celebratory as you move through treatment. And I think for most women that I've talked to, that's when the full crush of what has happened starts to come down. And so mm-hmm. they're elated and you're devastated, you know, and it's this real big dichotomy that you need a community around you that understands that. So you don't mm-hmm. feel broken and just in despair alone. Well, yeah, because you're in, in our oncology teams, they're, they're doing everything they can. They're healing us. They're hopefully getting rid of the cancer or making our life livable if you're metastatic, but your friends and your family are like, oh, your hair's growing back. You know, your treatment is done. Awesome. Just, right. just, just go, go do you again. And you're like, but I'm totally changed. And, and for you, who've always been a writer, it was part of your career. It, it seems like a natural progression for you to want to do something like this and express your feelings. For me, I, I love to write as well, but it wasn't it wasn't a part of my job. It wasn't something that I was like, Oh, you know, there was always that thing in my head. Oh, one day I'm going to write a book and yeah. Right. But there wasn't anything that I was passionate about until cancer Mm -hmm. because it, it just, it changed me so much. Oh, a hundred percent. And I know we'll get into this, but I was a completely different type of writer. Everything was different before cancer clarified that for me too. And um, I had one last question I wanted to ask you before we get into this break. Looking back now during your actual treatment time, before we get into the writing part, what do you wish you could have changed the most other than having the cancer itself? <laughs> oh, my gosh. A good question. Um, so it's, it's kind of a can of worms, but I wish I would have pursued more fertility preservation. Okay. I didn't even realize I had options there. I thought like everything would just bounce back to normal. I thought fertility uh-huh. would as well. And so when my oncologist said, we need to get you in the chair, we need to go fast. 
I didn't really ask a lot of questions about that. I just. Right. The, th- the thought is not like, oh, my eggs, how are my eggs going to be? Or, you know, exactly. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I do feel like that was hit on him and I love him, but he didn't, we just didn't talk about it. And yeah, because it wasn't the top foremost at your mind. I mean, thankfully you have your daughter and I yeah. have my son, but it's, it, it, it does change things because at the time your head is exploded and you're like, oh my God, get the cancer out of me. I have to live my life. So that is actually exactly. a subject I'm going to talk on, on a show next year. So, um, excellent. But listeners stay with us. We do need to take a quick break. Remember you can make a donation on our website or by texting BF radio to four, one, four, 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 to help breast friends continue on its mission that women do not go through cancer alone. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Navigating clinical trials for yourself or a loved one can be incredibly overwhelming. And that's why we built Clara Health. We created the Clara platform in collaboration with advocates to provide an accessible and patient-centered way to connect with clinical trials. Our team is here to support you in making informed and autonomous decisions about your treatment options. If you'd like to learn more, visit clarahealth.com. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is April Stearns, founder of the Wildfire Magazine and Writing Community, which we're going to talk a lot about right now. But as I was reading the issue last night, there was a quote in one of the articles, and it really personifies this whole journey. So, we all have cancer when someone we love is diagnosed. We all experience the emotions, the pain, the loss, the fear. It manifests in a variety of individual ways, but it is not a solo ride. And that really hit home for me because finding your tribe, whether it's through a writing community or a support group or 
a Facebook group or something is so important. And I think that's why what you have done with wildfire is so amazing. So tell us about that, how it came about and, and just lots of things, all the details. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to talk about it. It's, I think it's a little bit lonely sometimes as an entrepreneur. So it's always so fun when I get to talk about the business side. So um, Wildfire started as a magazine. Wildfire magazine grew out of what we were just talking about, that feeling that I needed to find that community. And it was really hard to find, but I needed some... I needed a roadmap of how other people were moving through survivorship and how that could look for me. And um, when I wasn't finding it, I thought, okay, I'll make a magazine. I didn't have any experience making magazines, but I wanted to. Because why not? I'll just make a magazine. No problem. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> but my my thought was like, okay, I want to make something that is a break from all of the, the cancer materials that we get when we're diagnosed, you know, all of the pamphlets, all the things that are put out by um, the pharmaceutical companies and different organizations that, I don't know, they have a different aesthetic than what I wanted. When I created Wildfire, I wanted it to feel young. I wanted it to feel hip, but I really wanted it to be kind of a quiet break. And so when you read it, you can kind of see that in my aesthetic that it's gorgeous. It's really mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, but it's it's quieter. It's not all the confetti and the pink that some of the other you know resources are. I wanted it to feel more real life for us. Um, it started out digital. It started out just me um, mostly publishing it online in kind of a blog form because that's what I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. And me just reaching out to people who had been writing out loud about their experience on their blogs and saying, can I republish this on mine? And then ultimately, um, a woman in, um, I think she was in London at the time, reached out to me. She was a 22-year-old survivor who was a graphic designer. And she said, hey, if you want to turn this into you know, something that looks a little more magazine-like, I can probably help you with that. And um, and so Hannah and I started working together at that point and she made it what it looks like today, which is online, you know, the flow is horizontal. Mm-hmm. You flip through it like a regular magazine or you can download the PDF, but it's, it's in spreads. It's not like that blog look of it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately then I was able to start printing it, which was always my dream because I love paper. And um, I do too. I'm still the yeah. old fashioned book person. And honestly, I subscribe to the digital and I swear I want to, I like, I, can I get, pay you more money and get all the, all the you can. Hard, hard versions? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed you can. Yeah. No, I, 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 it's interesting. We read magazines differently than books. Yes. And that's what I wanted to, was this feeling that you could dip in, dip out, read mm-hmm. from the back if you wanted to like look for the gorgeous pictures it's full of beautiful photography Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I started it in 2016 which was four years after my diagnosis I launched it on my birthday which coincided with my diagnosis and was kind of my big like hey I'm still here I'm still Mm -hmm. you know passionate about things but everything had changed prior to that. I was, um, I was actually making events. I was a conference producer making events in, um, Medicare. So totally unrelated to young cancer, anything Mm -hmm. personal to me, but I felt driven and called to it and had just watched my dad pass from pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
the the name and and the whole wildfire thing is a nod to him. He was a firefighter and oh. a fire chief for 31 mm-hmm. years. Taught me a lot about forest fires, the good and the bad. And so after he passed away and I launched the magazine, I wanted to pay a little tribute to him um, too. So. Well, it's beautiful. And like you say, you wanted something different than what is out there because what is out there, like the pamphlets and it's technical, it's medical, right? It's, it's not the, the emotions and the feelings and it just, it's soft, it's soft and it's welcoming. And you turn the pages knowing that it's going to be something positive because like I said earlier, cancer sucks and it's devastating and it changes our life. But what I love is that you're really highlighting women who've gone through this and found better things to come from it. That's right. And not all of the women who write in wildfire are writers themselves. You know, every issue has um, 20 to 30 contributors in it. And a Mm -hmm. lot of those women have, felt called to share their story, but don't technically think of themselves as writers. And I really wanted to create something where you didn't have to be an amazing writer to, to write in it. I wanted it to feel accessible to everyone everywhere. So I have contributors from all over the world, Mm -hmm. um, all walks of life, all stages of breast cancer who just feel called to tell their stories. And then what I do, in addition to helping them, you know, shine up their story in the editing, but each issue of Wildfire is on a theme because I want to help people understand that their story is multifaceted. We can tease out different aspects of it. They've got lots of memoirs within them, you know, cancer related and otherwise. And it's not just the diagnosis story. And that's the part that we get so used to rattling off to each other. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to get into like, okay, but how are you living the day after diagnosis and the day after that and the day after that. And so I provide these different themes that kind of help tease that out. And then we get really interesting storytelling from that. Well, and and addressing that topic at the end of the issue, I don't know if you do this every time, but you, you do a, um, Oh God, I can't think of the word, the prompt, the writing prompt. prompt. Right. But you were talking about that, this, this beautiful story um, about Sky and your, the dog, your dog and just all of that. And then, but really talking about how, yes, we, we share our cancer stories like, oh, I was ERPR positive, her two negative. I had a lumpectomy and then I had it again and a mastectomy, blah, blah, blah. But that's not our story. That's the cancer story. Exactly. And you've given people a platform to write about their self and their emotions. And it's, it's really powerful, but how did you decide that? Cause you, you'd done event planning in the past. You had written like for, for newspapers and such. Yep. How did you make that transition to reporting to I'm going to blog about cancer and share that with the world essentially? Yeah. So prior to my diagnosis, I had kind of dabbled in blogging and telling personal stories. Like you said, way prior to that, I was just reporting on other people's stories for Mm -hmm. newspapers and different publications. When um, my husband and I were planning to get married, I decided to make a blog about our wedding for our guests. I did too. (laughs) Okay. Literally, it's how I started. I did that. And then I I was the future Mrs. Beck. And then when I got pregnant, I did this. I did the future baby Beck. Yes. And honestly, that's how I started as well. So that's that's funny. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that that's similar for other people too, because those are some really big life changes, right? Mm-hmm. And writing about them, even if you start out just reporting the info so family and friends can stay up to date, it's a really great entry point to writing because it helps you just start to put it out there and you start to get feedback from people being like, yeah, I'm into this. I want to hear more about this. Even if it's, you know, your grandma and your whoever, you know, it's these people who really love you and would love anything that you do. But once you start writing about it, it becomes permission to start writing about other things. So for me, it was this natural flow from, you know, wedding, baby, and then cancer. And I remember my very first post on my blog was, I found this lump and I don't know what this means. I went and had a mastectomy. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, a mammogram. And now they want to do a biopsy like, and started hearing feedback from people who had been through that also. Mm-hmm. And I loved the real timeness of that conversation that started Mm -hmm. happening. And then, so for me, as I went through my cancer, my blog became that place in the middle of the night, everyone else is asleep and I could rage. I could try to make sense of, I could just give updates on what was happening. It was such a good outlet for me and people were reading it and, and wanted more. I remember one friend asked my husband, like, okay, I read the blog, but what's like the real story. And he's like, that is the real story. Like she puts it all on there. There's like nothing held back. And it was true. I just dumped it all in there. And then I found that other people were doing that too. Of course, that's totally different from publishing it in a magazine form. But for me, those were the stepping stones Mm -hmm. that helped me know that personal stories, memoir writing is really, really important for the writer and the readers too. Definitely. And I'm, I'm working on my own memoir-ish um, book, but it's more snippets of, you know, this is what I learned from cancer. And it's, it's really for me. Mm-hmm. If, if any, if one other person reads it and likes it, great, but it's for me. Like I, I get so much gratification just getting it out there because my friends and family are wonderful. I have an amazing support system, but they don't want to hear it 24 seven. So writing is a place that I can just go to and get it out there and be like, okay, it's there. It's done. Um, when I was listening to your past episode with Becky, you talked about meeting another woman through a breast cancer writing workshop, and you literally chased her down in the parking lot to connect. Why was that so important to you? Oh, I love that story. Yeah. So, um, it's funny. I was talking to Becky about my good friend, Becky. Um, she is my, my breast cancer in-person your, friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My first your, your breast person. cancer person. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And we didn't find each other in our town here. We didn't find each other until, um, let's see, it was 2014. So it had been a couple of years since mm-hmm. my diagnosis and it had been a couple of years since her initial diagnosis. And she had just had a metastatic reoccurrence. We were in a writing group that was mostly older women. It was memoir writing. Um, but we were surrounded by women with, you know, gray hair who had sent their children out of the nest. You know, their husbands were doing whatever they were there to start to write their stories. And here we were, you know, in our Mm thirties and feeling like careers and young children and yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and in fact, my friend Becky, um, 
didn't cancer took her her chance of even having children at all. So she mm. had a very different story than a lot of people. Um, but what we were trying to do was make sense of our own situations. And in that group, we read our stories out loud. So we each kept writing about cancer and we're feeling really self-conscious. Like, Ugh, I keep writing these cancer stories. I, I want to be writing the other stories, but this is what needs to come out. And so finally, one day we connected in the parking lot. Um, and like you said, like, just like, I have to talk to you. I need to, I need <laughs> to connect with you. And it was, it was that same kind of urgent need to lay eyes on a person who understood what, mm-hmm. you know, what I was going through and same for her. We just kind of glommed onto each other. I think really soon after that, we were texting at all hours and our husbands were like, who is who's this new person? Like what's going on here? (laughs) But yeah, really, really important to find at least one other person who can super get it. Um, I mean, my friends, my friends who haven't had breast cancer were so supportive and were there for me and they will, they support wildfire. They listen to me endlessly, but it's different from someone Mm -hmm. who has been through it and added bonus. Becky and I have the same oncology team. Like there's so much we can talk about, which is really great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So in, in doing all of this and, and the writing, you've created the space for young women. And, you know, one of your taglines is women diagnosed too young for breast cancer yes. to have the connection that you really weren't able to find. And so what's been the feedback from the readers and those who are, who are able to take in the stories that you're publishing? Oh, the feedback has been amazing. I mean, a lot of the same kinds of things that you've been saying today, Michelle, just on how nice it is to soak up those stories and to feel that hope. I always start every issue with the bios of everyone who's been in there. Yes. I I meant, I meant to comment on that too, because most of the time you, when you're reading something, if there's a bio, it's at the end, it's very short, but really the first few pages of the magazine are the bios of these amazing women and what they've gone through. And I, I, I just, I applaud that because it's so you're highlighting the individuals and then they get to tell their stories. So you're learning about them personally right. and then you get to read about it. Right. And people tell me that they like to start there and find like, okay, you, this person was also diagnosed at 25. This person also, you know, had lobular breast cancer or whatever, like you're making those kinds of connections. And then now let me read her story. And mm-hmm. it, it gives hope, right? It's like, okay, someone else is walking this planet who gets a little bit of what I get. And that's the feedback I get. Oh, like, I mean, they all have, you know, many very different stories than I do. And I swear I'm going to stalk all of them now on Instagram and like, come be my friends. Yes. yes. <laughs> and they will, because that is what our community uh-huh. is all about. We do want to find each other and be connected. Yeah, there's there's no like, oh, I wrote a story. I can't be your friend. Like, no, let's share all the stories. Let's share all of the nonprofits, all of the yes. the amazing organizations that, you know, are talked about in, in every issue because they're all so worthwhile. Um, what are your what are your numbers like? How many issues do you publish and subscribers, all of that jazz? Yeah. So I've been publishing every other month for the past almost six years now. So I've got like 35 issues. And like Mm -hmm. I said, every issue has 20 to 30 writers in it. So I'm very proud that I have now published a thousand more. Amazing. 
Yeah. Of these young women. And I I think when I first started it out, the perception was like, okay, well, you're going to find like, you know, the 10 people out in the world who can write (laughs) in your magazine and then what, but no, I have tons of writers and tons of readers as well. People reading both the digital Mm -hmm. and the print. And then a lot of people who just read my newsletter, you know, who maybe don't um, actually subscribe to the magazine, but it's in the many hundreds at this point. And it just Mm -hmm. keeps growing and growing. That's awesome. And you can also find it at some bookstores and exactly, which yes. is nice. Like I, I really, I'm, I know I'm getting my copy in the mail, but I, I just want to go find it on a newsstand and take a picture. Like, Hey, look, I'm in a published magazine, people. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's, I it's, love it. It's like the, it's the next step on my journey for me because my, my goal by the end of 2022 is to have my my story done and out there because I want to take it and move forward. And it's also going to be a platform to speaking because yes. once this whole pandemic is over um, in 2030, uh, no, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I don't mean to jinx it. Um, but, you know, I, I want to share the cancer story because it helps so many people. Yes. Yes. And I know we'll get into that more, but you're absolutely right. We will, but we do need to take another quick break. So stay with us listeners. I want to remind you that I put together warrior stories episodes. So if you would like to be a guest or share your story of inspiration or what changed you after cancer, email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. Or if you need a hat for yourself after going through chemo or someone who has gone through and you'd like to share it, send them one. Go onto our website under patient programs and you can send them a hat. So listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Navigating clinical trials for yourself or a loved one can be incredibly overwhelming. And that's why we built Clara Health. We created the Clara platform in collaboration with advocates to provide an accessible and patient-centered way to connect with clinical trials. Our team is here to support you in making informed and autonomous decisions about your treatment options. If you'd like to learn more, visit clarahealth.com. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is April Stearns, founder of Wildfire Magazine and Writing Community. So, April, you have created this amazing writing community, the magazine, but you're also doing something really to help future writers out there or, you know, women to really find their voice and you lead writing workshops. And when, when did you start this? I imagine it wasn't at the beginning, maybe kind of added on later because you can't do everything at the same time. (laughs) How did those work? It's true. Um, So, yeah, I would say that Prior to the pandemic, the writing workshops were just a little something I was doing here and there. I was going to like the Young Survival Coalition Conference or the Living Beyond Breast Cancer Conference and doing a little writing session, you know, in a conference. Um, I had a few little, uh, sorry, little workshops here locally. I really thought that they needed to happen in person. All of the writing groups that I have done separate from breast cancer have been in person. Well, because before the pandemic, life was in person. Exactly. That's how, how we did things because that's what we were used to. And then March, 2020 hit. Right, exactly. And we all realized we had webcams and we're like, oh, I can do this too. Yeah. So yeah, I you mentioned that I talked to Becky um, on the program in May 2020. And it was right at that time, actually. We probably didn't talk about it, but I started workshops from Zoom in 2020 at the same time. And since then, I have just been rolling them out one after another because people need permission and they need help to write Mm -hmm. their stories. So um, I'm up to four or five, sometimes a little bit more nights a week, days a week. I offer them at different times for Mm -hmm. different time zones. I have a lot of international people zooming in as well, but the whole concept is that we gather in zoom. It's a small group. I usually have no more than 10 um, women. And then we meet consistently for several weeks for six weeks. And it's a healing writing workshop designed to help people dip their toe in if they're new to writing or if they're seasoned writers to give them prompts that are more specific to memoir writing. Some of them are on the nose, cancer, you know, very, very specific. Some are broader. And I always tell them you can write whatever needs to come out. There's no right or wrong answer to a prompt. Um, and so some people are end up, you know, thinking that they're going to write only about breast cancer and then they end up writing about their mom, you know, every single week because that's what needed to come <laughs> out or vice versa. You know, then it's like, I thought I was done with the cancer stuff, but here it is, you know, it's all coming out. And so all the prompts are open-ended just to give an entry point onto the page. And then I also have other, um, so I have a prompt style group and then I have a fire starters group and my fire starters are those people who've been through the prompt style. I call them sparks for their wildfire mm-hmm. sparks. That's when so you, cute. <laughs> it's really sweet, right? Um, but then when, you, when you're thinking of yourself as a fire starter, you're like, okay, I've got a lot of story starts and now I want to take one through like a full, you know, essay process. And so then that's an even smaller group where we help each other you know, get through those drafts and bring out different aspects of memoir writing, whether it's character development or um, structure, you know, different things like that. And I really help people write their stories. And the whole thing is to make it really, really enjoyable and really hone in on that healing aspect, which is when 
you step outside your story and you become the narrator of your story, you become a character in your story. That's when the healing can take place. And that's when you can elevate someone else's life with what you've learned in your story. And that's what, that's what wildfire is about. And that's what the writing workshops are about. I, I, I do consider myself a writer because I enjoy it. I, I, I've had people tell me I'm good at it, but it's more so I just, it's something that my soul needs to do, but my biggest challenge is time. So I'm, I'm going to sign up for the workshops just so I'm forced to sit down and write with you. Plus I want to spend more time with you. (laughs) I love that. But yeah, that's exactly it. Right. Sometimes we need someone to help us carve out that time because it's a Mm -hmm. practice. It's something that you show up for each week and it gets easier. Um, but Becky, I'm so, or I'm sorry, I called you Becky. Michelle, That's okay. yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, you will love the group because we get to know each other on a deeper level than just mm-hmm. like we were talking about, like just the, the little like diagnosis story. We start to tell these other stories and we share them and it becomes this bigger bond. And people tell me all the time that the workshop is de facto the best support group that they've ever mm-hmm. attended because we do so much more than just um, touch the surface. Yeah. And that that's super important. And then you've also started a podcast called The Burn, which I, I love all the fire metaphors. They're amazing. <laughs> yes. So how, how did that come about? Yeah. So again, going back to pandemic times, I have always had this goal of doing these live storytelling events around the magazine um, because I believe strongly that it's one thing to write your story. It's a second thing to then have that story published and to share it. But it's a third thing in terms of healing layers to read your story aloud and to get that instantaneous feedback from a group of people saying like, yes, like your story is resonating with me but also to hear yourself reading that story. So during the pandemic, we started hosting these nights where mm, I think it was around like eight women or so from each magazine. So a small selection of writers from each issue, we'd gather on Zoom, open it up to the subscribers to the magazine and read the stories out loud. Mm -hmm. And I would ask them a few follow-up questions, you know, after each, and then we'd have kind of a discussion and, um, and it was really fun and people were really responding to it. And I wanted to be able to go back through the archives and go through, like, like I said, I've got zillions of mm-hmm. issues now and writers back there. And I didn't want those stories to be forgotten. Um, what I didn't realize also was happening. And this goes back to kind of what you were talking about with Pamela and you reading her story on a mm-hmm. recent episode, um, I felt really, really called to capture the voices of our stage four community, Mm -hmm. reading their stories themselves. And so moving into a podcast format enables me to do it on a bigger scale than having these storytelling nights. And so um, basically I kind of did it backwards. It was like a live podcast night. And then I was like, wait, let me just do this on a weekly one story at a time. But I also wanted to really bring those writing prompts to people. So the format of the podcast is a guest comes on, she reads her story from a recent issue, and then we dig into like, okay, what are what's going on here with your writing? Like, what are some of the themes with this? And then I give a prompt to listeners to do on their own at home. I love that. And so burn um, every week on all the podcast platforms, all the podcast platforms. It's called the burn. Mm -hmm. It's helpful to search it with my name or you might get firefighting uh, (laughs) as well. But yeah, your dad's looking down going, 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, every Wednesday, a new episode um, comes out. I love that. Thank you. So I'm definitely, it's, it's added to my thing. I could listen to podcasts all day and not get anything done. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I do want to switch gears for just a minute and talk about something so strong that you recently did. Um, in November, you posed for a beautiful photo shoot um, of yourself on social media with the Breast Cancer Portrait Project. Is that correct? Missy right. Peters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And showing your unilateral um, chest, I, non, non-mounded, is that what you call it? Or non Right. I had an aesthetic flat closure. Okay, thank you. Right. Which mm-hmm. means I did not have breast mound reconstruction. Got it. Breast. You know, I, that's the first, I'd actually heard that terminology mm-hmm. was you saying it's something breast mound reconstruction. So, um, but you pose for this beautiful picture and you it's out on social media and you are stunning. Oh, thank and you. it's because it's, it's so important. I think to normalize, like these are our options. Like, Everyone who goes through this does not have to have a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction and and your nipples tattooed to make everything look like they used to be. Like what what prompted you to do this and now to be the time to share it? Yeah. So um, it's interesting. Missy and I started talking prior to the pandemic. She is in San Diego, California. I'm in Santa Cruz, California, which is about a nine hour difference. So at that point, um, she had said would you be interested if I were to travel North and um, could you gather a group, a wildfire group, and we could do a a shoot together. And then of course the pandemic happened and we just kept kind of pushing it off, pushing it off. Well, in early November, she finally came and um, I was super nervous about doing it because I've never been, I've never done any kind of topless Mm -hmm. photos at all, but I really felt called to do it because I did not see any photos of women with one breast Mm -hmm. prior to making that decision. And I didn't make the decision, um, because I was thinking of, uh, you know, what will I look like or anything like that? Like I said, I just wanted to get back to the business of mothering my child. I didn't want to have a lot of extra surgeries. Mm-hmm. And I had heard that with breast mound reconstruction, you can have a lot of extra surgeries, whether you're mm-hmm. having implants or yep. um, fat grafting and all the rest of it. So I was like, I don't want to do that. I just want to move I, forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever's quick and dirty. Um, since then though, I realized like, oh, there is a whole lot more living that I will be doing now in this body asymmetrically. And since then I found a lot of women who feel that living half flat is kind of the worst case scenario for them. You know, some women choose to have breast mound reconstruction and something happens. They lose the implant or mm-hmm. whatever. The choice and is taken away. Exactly. And so they end up half flat. And so I wanted to put a picture out that would show that you can actually feel beautiful. You can feel sexier than ever, which is honestly my experience. I feel better when breasted than I ever did before. And it doesn't have to be the worst case scenario. And um, Michelle, I don't know if you know this, but that picture was republished in Allure magazine. And I am so proud nice. to have it just oh. spread like wildfire. All over I the planet, love it. Know? That's amazing. <laughs> I'm sure you you have had such wonderful feedback for it. Yes. Um, I, I reach. I mean, I for me, I'm you know, I had a bilateral. I've got reconstruction. I'm tattooed. So I'm kind of like you know the the quote unquote typical 
cancer patient, but I reached out to Missy. I'm like, if you ever come to Portland, please come take my picture. Yes. <laughs> well, oh, and it's, an, it's a great experience working with her. Because I, and um, you also have another photographer in the magazine, Laura Pike, who's doing empowered mastectomy. Yes. And I've connected with her as well. And just being able to share these images, I think is so powerful because it really shows women out there. You're not alone, no matter what you look like, no matter what you've been through. It's it's a gift to be able to have whatever body we have because we're here exactly. and you know, you're, I, I wish I still had some sensation in my breast. So if I had the option to keep one of my breasts so I could still have some, some sensation or whatever, hundred percent. But since cancer's like, Oh, I like both of your breasts. I'm like, okay, well take them both. Uh, but, True. Um, but knowing what your options are is such a better way to go into this whole thing. And a lot of us don't have any idea what our options are. So putting out images, putting out stories to just, to just educate and empower yes. is so changing the world. It is. And I think that's what wildfire is doing. So one last question, we're almost out of time. What's the greater greatest gift that cancer has given you? Oh, the community, hands down. I am just so grateful that I have found so many amazing women in here um, who were previous to cancer, amazing women, but I never would have crossed paths with them. So Mm -hmm. having that opportunity to just meet so many women from around the world, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And that really is because the more and more I talk to women too, the silver linings of their cancer are the people they meet. Um, I I have a woman who is my silver lining and this is, I can't imagine how I lived without her before. And we would, we wouldn't have met otherwise we're 10 years apart in age and it's just, but we are, she is my person. And, but being able to do this and what you've done with the wildfire community has really opened the doors for so many other women to connect. And it's so important. Um, How can our listeners find you in the magazine? Yeah, please come to my website. Everything is there, wildfirecommunity.org. There's info on the podcast, the writing community, the magazine, and links to Instagram and all the rest of it there, wildfire yeah. community. Yes, definitely. Um, and Instagram, it's at wildfire underscore BC underscore magazine. But if you just type in wildfire, it will show up. So listeners, thank you so much for being here today. If you or a loved one need our services, please visit breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. You can find our show on many platforms on Voice America's Health and Wellness channel or search Breast Friends wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to nominate yourself to be a guest or share your story, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.